sometimes in life, we all feel like explorers. We're going into uncharted territory, uh, doing things we've never done before for the first time. Uh, we're doing things that we've done a number of times, but we're trying to do them better. And so this idea of moving through life, of trying to change and upgrade and transform is, is very much like the life of an explorer. And to that end, I am excited to bring to the show today a dear, dear friend, arguably the foremost living explorer on the planet, and his name is Mike Horn. Now, if you're not familiar with Mike and his travels, uh, just a little background, a little bio. Um, I'll start by saying that we are dear friends, and I have had the, the incredible fortune of traveling uh, some really amazing places with Mike, the South China Sea. Um, you know, around South Africa, down near the Amazon and um, off the coast of Brazil. Um, some of my most, you know, inspiring and literally the best moments of my life have been with Mike because he is an explorer. He's also a guide. He's um, a living legend. He is also one of the hardest working, um, stubborn badasses that I know. Um, so with a little that personal endorsement, uh, some of his achievements, which again are virtually unfathomable for me, started out as a special forces um, soldier at the age of 18 in South Africa, developed an entrepreneurial spirit, which allowed him to leave his home and pursue the unknown. Uh, some of the, the expeditions that he's taken early on, swimming 5,000 miles down the Amazon River, um, eating crocodiles, like literally hunting them with his bare hands, bugs, uh, being bitten by snakes that almost take, uh, kill them. Um, he's circumnavigated the earth at the equator with, without a motor that is setting sailing records across both the oceans, riding his bike across South Africa. Uh, I mean, again, no motor set a world record for circumnavigating the globe at the equator. He's also now done pole to pole, which is he crossed the Arctic and soloed Antarctica uh, um, in record fashion, the longest path across Antarctica. Um, to to list more of his achievements besides like climbing 8,000 meter peaks in the Himalaya, it just starts to get absurd. But you know the character that is required for someone to do those things, the drive, the ambition, uh, the skill, and the relentless passion for what you're doing. All that comes through in this interview, this discussion. Um, and I can't wait for you to, uh, if you know Mike, to learn a little bit about him because we have some uh, some great personal connections. I think we're able to go to a place where he wouldn't otherwise have gone. And if you're new to Mike, you are going to love this conversation. So I'm gonna get out of the way and welcome Mike Horn to the show. This episode of the show is brought to you by Creative Live. This is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. Bar none, no questions asked. And you're like, wait a minute, isn't, aren't you the founder of that? Indeed, I am. And that is one of the reasons I believe deeply in it. But I will let 10 plus million students speak for me in this endeavor. Uh, this is where Pulitzer Prize winners, it's where the New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best, teach classes in creativity like photography, video, art, design, music and audio, craft, maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of these disciplines. There's health and wellness classes. There, it's the total package for any creator or entrepreneur. And I have to say that I have put my entire lifeblood into this thing, as have the dozens and dozens of people who work there and about a thousand 
of the world's top creators who teach on this platform. Well, I used to encourage you to buy classes and we would have discounts on those classes, but you know what? This year we are doubling down on subscription. Well, a single class used to be like $99 or $149, and we have now moved to a subscription first world where you get all of the content. That's right, tens of thousands of hours of content, thousands of classes, for one subscription price and it's a hundred and change over at creativelive.com slash creator pass. That is always where the best price on that exists at again, creativelive.com slash creator pass to unlock the entire library. All right. Uh, that about wraps it up. Now let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome to the show, Mike, for your second time. Thanks for being back together, but nice to see your face. Yeah, no, it's great to see you, Chase. You know, the last time I saw you, we were on a boat sailing off somewhere. <laughs> I think it was. Waves and stuff. So uh, being at home uh, is, is, is a kind of a different surrounding. I'm not used to seeing you sitting in front of a screen. <laughs> and you the same. I don't think I've ever seen you indoors. <laughs> no, no, no. You know, the last five years, I only spent 32 days in my own bed. Oh. Uh, so um, you're very lucky. I am. We've been trying to put this together for a while. And uh, before we go too deep, I want to yeah, make sure to say hi to Anika and Jessica. For me, your amazing daughters who, uh, who've helped us pull together this conversation today. So give them my love. I just spoke with my wife, Kate. She wanted to send her love to you and the family. So we miss you dearly on the other side of the planet here, bud. Uh, yeah, we miss you guys as well. You know, the, the planet's kind of round. And if we keep on walking, in one direction, we'll eventually meet up without yeah. making a U-turn, you know, so. Well, uh, I'm, I'm happy to have you on the show. The second time on the show, the last time you were here was, I think, uh, nine years ago. Um, and it was, it was in Seattle. And uh, for those folks who um, are new to your work, there's millions, of course, who follow you around the planet. But for anyone who is new, uh, our relationship goes back um, something like 10 years and I want to just recap our initial meeting, uh, and then maybe we'll we'll kick off uh, a little bit of history, and then I want to cover a handful of topics that you were well known for, specifically, you know, risking your life, going to places, and doing things that people have never done before. Uh, also, awareness about climate and, and climate change, and uh, and pursuing your dream because I, I have a just having spent days and days and days in very small places with you. Um, I know more than most, so I'm hoping to pull some of that out uh, in our conversation. And to, to, to kick it off, uh, I was contacted by uh, Panerai, which is a, a watch company, and um, they make some of the world's finest timepieces for those watch lovers out there. And I remember uh, them proposing the idea of working with you aboard your boat, Pangaea, and, uh, you know, we made some arrangements, Panerai signed, uh, signed the, the, signed me up for the campaign. And before I knew it, uh, I was off, flew to Hong Kong and was just given a, an address where your boat was going to be parked <laughs> at a particular day I had to be there. And, uh, I remember walking on board and meeting you for the first time. And I know you'd hosted lots of what you called journalists, um, and, I was immediately taken with your authenticity, your your this seriousness that you approach life, and also the the playfulness, and uh, and we set off, and I'm wondering if you remember 
that it was two days into our journey uh, where we were caught in a monsoon in the South China Sea. Do you remember that? Yeah, well, you know, if you if you run a boat and you've got two uh, kind of amateur sailors with you on the boat, you kind of become responsible for their lives as well. And if I'm alone on the boat and and uh, with the crew, um, you know, we we know what we can do with the crew that we have, and to make uh, people comfortable on a vessel going. Uh, into a tropical storm uh, isn't always the easiest thing to do and you know that's when I I think I got to know you guys very quickly uh, when you guys were out there uh, trying to catch the most amazing content and 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 get the the authentic true um, pictures that a lot of people can't get because they're not willing to go out there and, and take these risks and, and to be able to get those images in the middle of the night with waves breaking over the boat and me trying to uh, make everybody as safe and comfortable as possible, um, you know, got, got us to be good friends. And I believe if you go through a lot of hardship, you create amazing friendships. And somebody, sometimes people just want to be friends, but you can't really be true friends if you don't live a hardship together. You can't trust somebody if you don't know what they're going to do when you really count on them to do something uh, for you. And that's what I appreciate about, appreciate about the work that I do is that, you know, we're out there in nature and if you meet people in the same surroundings and the same situation as you find yourself in, uh, that is when you get to know them and and their capabilities very quickly. <laughs> well, it was literally yeah, it was literally uh, a life or death moment. I remember you. The for those of you who are sailors, um, this may mean something, but we're out in the South China Sea, and I remember asking Mike. So the storm is kicking up, and I was like, you know, I haven't seen any boats that are shorter than like 800 feet long out here we passed like one or two giant vessels and uh so are, are we in the right place and and you looked at me and said oh no we should definitely not be here but we'll be fine and i remember just thinking we are entering a moment of adversity and as you said um when you're pushed and challenged and you find yourself in in a situation that is not you know just like sitting in your front room sipping tea i think people's true character come out and that was one of the things among many that I was struck by uh, in our first meeting. And you started to speak about character. And I want to go back and try and understand what 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 do you think developed your character? I think it's one of the, you know, it's certainly what has propelled you around the world, climbing 8,000 meter peaks and setting world records sailing and soloing across Antarctica and going to the North Pole in winter. And what about your your upbringing because i think there's someone right now sitting at home in their underwear in ohio thinking i don't I, I i can't even relate to mike i'm you know i'm a software engineer or i'm an entrepreneur starting my business and i'm scared to you know write my first thousand dollar check or i'm scared to invest in my business and what in your past set you up for success uh, you know chase i i, I think that um you know, I, I had an amazing education. My father, that was 
uh, an amazing athlete and, and my mother that was uh, a professor at university, um, you know, gave me the opportunity to be who I really wanted to be, not to be who they wanted me to be and gave me a lot of freedom. So my father that was, was uh, like I said, he was a rugby player. You call it football in the U.S., but um, rugby players don't have all the helmets and all the armor and all the protection gear. It's, it's a, a pretty rough um, sport. And in many ways, um, the, the most respected sport in the world because you, it can be war on the field, but the moment that the whistle blows, they, the best are friends, all the rugby players. And as my father played his last match. Um, I was privileged to walk into the changing room with him and just sitting next to him and all the other younger players coming to him and and kind of said only good things about him. And the things that was said was like, you know, you were always an example to us. You were always first there. You were always last to go. You were always the one that helped the weakest. And you were always there to listen to us and to be able to guide us through things. And as a kid, listening to what other people was telling my father, uh, when they all left and he sat there, I said, you know, I want to be like you. And he looked at me and he said, you know, Mike, you, you can't be me. And I was, I was disappointed. I was hurt because... Why can't I be like him? And then a couple of seconds later, he just said, you know, Mike, you are who you are. And I can see that you already or already bigger than what I will ever be. And if you are who you are, that's the easiest person to be. And to me, it was all of a sudden my hero was telling me that I was already bigger than him that I should dream big, that if your dreams don't scare you, they, they're not big enough. And every day of his life, of my father's life, at six o'clock in the morning, he woke up and he went for a run. From the age of eight years old, every morning at six o'clock, I was awake. And he wouldn't run any slower for me to keep up to him. It was for me to run faster to be able to stay with him for a longer period of time. And when I couldn't stay with him anymore, I stopped and I took a, a stone and on the sidewalk, I would draw a line. And every day of my life, when I woke up, I wanted to beat that line. And that is an inspiration. And when my father asked, asked me, you know, why do you think I wake up every morning to go for a run? I was brought up to think that you want to go for a run to make yourself better. You want to go for a run to add value to your team. You want to go for a run to be the best version of yourself that you can be. And that's what I said to my father. I said, you know, you, um, you go for a run because you want to be a better version of yourself. You want to add value. And he said, no, the only reason why I go for a run is because you are awake. You inspire me every morning. And when I cross that line that you draw, that you drew on the, on the sidewalk, that is when I know 
you fighting to stay with me. And that inspires me. So inspiration is vital for whoever or whatever you want to become and be. And for me, I was given that freedom and I had the right education and I wanted to be a better version of myself. And I knew from a very early age that if you work on yourself and if you are who you want to be, that's an easy job to be successful because you're not pretending to be anybody else. That the story that you just shared with your about your your father, the I think right now there are there are people who are listening and watching and and have young children, and for them the the message is obvious. Like set an an, an expectation and be an inspiration to your kids as your father, uh, father and mother. I know a little bit about both of them, but as they were to you. But there's also some people out there who didn't have that example or don't have that example. Um, and do you have any advice for them? Is, is it within each of us or where, where ought they look for inspiration if they didn't receive it from their, their family? You know, uh, Chase, I live the best of both worlds. Uh, when, I, when I was 18 years old, I, I lost my father and he was no longer there. And... I had to to be the inspiration to others that he was for me. And it doesn't mean that if you don't have the inspiration around you that you can't get it from other people. If you, as an individual, surround yourself with people that support you, people that build your ideas, not people that break you down, not people that criticize everything you do. That's when you surround yourself with hope. That's when you surround yourself with an energy that can only push you higher. That's when the moment that, that will be the difficult moments, they will be there to support you. And we all have friends. We all can surround ourselves with friends, wives, family members that can support us. And the moment you support people, the moment that you, the positive change maker, the catalyst to, to this, this positive energy that we can circulate around us, that's when we start believing in ourselves. That is eventually when you can dream big because other people support your ideas. We all unique individuals. We all have a value, and it's to find that specific value that makes you unique. And the moment you find that uniqueness in yourself is the moment that you are who you are. And that becomes inspirational to other people. It's sort of like a, a, a virtuous cycle. I've heard you talk about this before. It makes me um, think not just about inspiration, but about your the the the, the, one of the ways that I've said it is that the most important words in the world are the ones we say to ourselves. You've talked about leading by example, but take, take us for a second to uh, be, say, in the North Pole with you where you were um, alone in the dark for two years. What was it? Two years and eight months or something like that in total. You're, you, there's no one. 
there's no one to draw inspiration from. Um, there's no one to look to for help or support. Um, you've got a satellite phone, but it's just you alone in the dark. And I'm wondering, you know, your, your role as an explorer obviously is, um, is very, very unique, but I think it's moments like these where you are alone in the dark by yourself for an extended period of time that, that those of us back, you know, in safety or trying to start a business or trying to pursue the dream, the crazy dream that we have. I'm wondering if you can share with folks, what are some of the things that you say to yourself when you're out there in the middle, in the middle of nowhere, how do you, how do you program your mind to be positive and successful, especially in the, in the face of danger and fear and, and just how do you give us some guidance here? You know, um, what's very important to understand, Chase, is that I've never started anything in my life thinking I would fail. And that is, that is vital for any project that you want to, want to head on. If you have any doubt on your capabilities, then um, you, you mustn't engage. But you don't need to know all the answers before you leave on expedition, for example, or into a project or any other, an other direction in life. If you need to be able to do big things, you need to be able to inspire yourself. And the moment that you become inspirational to yourself is the moment that you kind of believe in yourself. Now in the tent on the North Pole, it's darkness. I've been away from home for two years. The only thing that I want to do is go back home. But I have to overcome these obstacles in life. And the only way to overcome these obstacles is if you are willing to better yourself. The moment that you can better yourself, then obstacles become smaller. You can't only wish to have less obstacles and wish for an easier life. You should wish that you're actually better. You should make yourself more enriched with knowledge and experience and be well prepared and trained to overcome these obstacles because that's what we can differ from one man to the other. In the tent, in complete darkness, at minus 50 or minus 60, do you think I'm motivated to get out of the tent? No, <laughs> I'm not motivated to get out of the tent. If I'm kind of comfortable in my little sleeping bag. The moment I get out of the tent, I'm exposing myself to the extremities of the world, to freezing, to be, to be eaten by a polar bear, to fall through ice that's become very thin on the polar ocean. So it's not motivation that we need in life. People often think, and, and especially in the US, that you should think positive. They, they say, you know, think positive and everything will be okay. No, it's not to think positive that, that, will th that will make things be okay. It's to do positive things that will make things okay. And inside the tent, I'm not motivated to go out there and confront my day and the cold and the bears. But I'm a disciplined man. And the moment you apply discipline to your life, and not motivation is the moment you wake up 
you get your stuff done and you bite the bullet, you go outside and you pull that sled. That discipline is self-inflicted. And that's what we often forget. If it's only motivation that drives you, after 10 minutes, you're not motivated anymore and you'll stay in one spot. Discipline is what we all need to achieve big goals. Did you, you said something to me one time that I'm going to recount briefly here, but I'm going to recount it just by, you know, saying, saying the thing that you, you started your story with, which was 30,000 days. I remember we were together. This was not the first time uh, we were together in, uh, in, in the South China Sea. I think this was either in Brazil or, or South Africa. And we'd spent some time together and you said, okay, that was, you know, that was seven days of 30,000 days. And I didn't really know what you meant. And we talked later over a nice glass of white wine. And uh, you told me the story about uh, 30,000 days. And I'm wondering if you can share it with us. You know, it's, it's, um, it's one question that I asked my mother. Um, and my mother was wise enough to, to kind of write down some of the interesting questions her kids asked her, uh, asked her. And one of the questions I asked my mother was that, how many days do we have in a lifetime? And, you know, she didn't know the answer straight away and, and she did a little bit of research and, and then came up with this figure of the average age is 82 years old around the world. And that's 82 times 365 days gives you 30,000 days to an average life until 82 years old. So we only live for 30,000 days in a lifetime. Half of the time we sleep. So actually that we have available to ourselves are only 15,000 days. Now, we can't afford to lose one of these 15,000 days because in the first five years of your life, you don't really know what's happening with you. It's, it's kind of, you, you're dependent on, on parents until you eventually leave home. But then when you get older, you start making decisions. And if you think of the amount of days we really have available to live our life, to follow our passion, to be able to inspire others. It's very few days, in fact. So each day to me, each minute that I can live is important. And if I calculate my life in, in living days, that is, that is important to know how long can I live to be able to live life now and not later. Because if I keep on pushing things to do them later, I've got no days left to do everything that I still want to do. So birthdays are simply reminders that we're running out of time to do what we still want to do in life. I, that, that stuck with me so profoundly. Uh, I remember getting home and looking up and I think I think we we breathe something like 20,000 times a day. And I started understanding, you know, you mentioned there's the young part where you get to make decisions. And then maybe as an older person, when you have less mobility, you're, 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 
your capacity for decisions or freedom is limited. So if you start thinking you have roughly the same number of days on this planet that you take breaths in a day and every breath feels like it goes like, like that. And the same is true for me out in, out in the world. And that's, I think it's just a very poignant reminder for folks. There's someone listening right now. There's probably lots of people who are, have been putting off the tough conversation or putting off pursuing that dream that they have. And it's just, I, I just loved how you had, you know, couched that in the simplicity of just how many days you truly have, or you truly don't have, right? Time is, is so limited. Time is, it, it's so short. Um, you're the most accomplished living explorer on the planet and you've done a lot and climbed mountains, crossed seas, sailed, swam the Amazon, all these things that, that I listed in your bio and that, um, and we've talked at length about in previous conversations. What are you doing now? What's, what is your main focus now, given that we only have 30,000 days? Um, you know, first of all, uh, Chase, you, I, I never thought that I would actually live, live or get close to the age that I am now. So, you know, I'm, I'm 55 years young and um, I, I kind of think that I've, that I've lived more than one lifetime. And just a small little, little story that I would like to share with you is that, you know, I, I've been happily married for um, 25 years. Um, my wife came to me one day and she said, you know, Mike, I have breast cancer. And um, it kind of really shocked me. I was out there taking all the risks. I was the one that was um, not going to live to become old. And, you know, um, after the treatment and uh, the, the cancer just spread, um, there was a stage that it got really bad and and you know I went to to Kathy and I and I said you know Kath um, you know I can't really live without you you've given me all this freedom you've given me two amazing daughters that we brought up and that we educated and that can take care of themselves and you know I think I would you know I would prefer to die with you and she looked up into my eyes and said, you know, Mike, your whole life was about fighting to stay alive. Now you're telling me that you want to die. And I said, yes, because I feel that without you, my life cannot be complete. And then she said something that really changed the way I was thinking. And she said, you know, Mike, don't die for me, live for me. You've got to live for me because I've had my time on earth and I'm moving out, but you're still there and you can live for me and for others. And then she said something even more amazing. And what she said, Chase, was, listen, I've had more than one life with you in 25 years. And to me, that was the biggest gift to have ever met you and that we could spend 25 years of our lives together. And that's how you have to feel about life. You've got to be able to say that today, if my life 
comes to an end, I have done everything I wanted to do. And there's nothing that I regret. Even all the mistakes that I've made, even all the mistakes or the things that I didn't do that I wanted to do, but I still kept on doing other stuff, is the way that the water flows underneath the bridge. You've got to be able to live life for you and for others that cannot live life like you can. Mm. It made me, I, I got teared up there thinking about Kath, what an amazing woman. Again, I, I feel very, very lucky to have known her and um, what a sweet, kind, strong woman. I remember sitting with you in the back of the Mercedes G-Wagon, ripping up the uh, South African uh, countryside, heading up into the the winery, the three of uh, the four of us, I think it was me and Kate and Kath and you and the, exactly. and uh, I'll, I'll never forget those, those days, especially in, in Africa with Kath and the girls. It was so this one, one, once in a lifetime experience for me. So thank you. She was an amazing woman and what a lesson uh, that she gave you in that moment. You know, I, I think Chase, those lessons um, we don't, necessarily have to learn them personally but we can learn them we we can we can get experience from what's lived through others and she taught me so much about the appreciation of being alive and if i can teach others about the appreciation of being alive then you know that's how life should be we, we should be able to add value, all of us in life. If we add value and not take value, that's when the world will become a better place. Did you ever have anyone tell you no, tell you that it wasn't possible? I mean, here you are, you, you were living in uh, Africa, moved to uh, Switzerland. I won't get into the details there because the main point is you started uh, desiring to go swim the Amazon and start to do some of these crazy things that you'd uh, ostensibly fallen in love with in Switzerland, being outdoors and, and whatnot. But there's so many people out there right now that have heard no and have taken that answer at face value and decided not to pursue their dreams. So I'm wondering who in your world was telling you no and what was your response to, to the no that you heard from them? You know, it, it, it often comes down to how are you going to finance your, your expeditions? How are you going to make somebody believe that you are capable of doing what they never dreamt about, that they think is impossible? And I think that is where I always thought that I should be the guy going out there and I should be the guy doing the things. And once I've done the things, once I've, I've proven that, that I've got the knowledge and I've got the experience, that's when you can go out and engage and get into, in, into being a professional athlete where professionalism allows you to even dream bigger because you, you support it financially. So all my first expeditions, um, I believed in what I wanted to do. Kathy believed in what I wanted to do. 
I joined the special forces in Brazil. They trained the Americans for the war in Vietnam. But I didn't want to know how to go and fight. I just wanted to know how to survive in the jungle. And when I got that knowledge that, that, that I got through an exchange program, um, I knew that with that knowledge, I can do something big. And that's when I did my first 5,000 miles swim down the Amazon River. So all I, I mean, needed- Who swims 5,000 miles? <laughs> yeah, but exactly. It's like, you've got this wild dream as a kid to go to the Amazon, to go and see these anacondas, to go and see the piranhas, to go and see this fish that swims up your penis, embeds itself there, and that you cannot get out. You, you, that excited me as a kid. That's what I wanted to do. And the first opportunity I had was an exchange program when I was in the South African Special Forces with Brazil. So off I went to Brazil. And I started believing in my dream. Although my friends knew who I was and what I wanted to do, there's a lot of them that kind of warned me and said, you know, Mike, just think about this a little bit longer. Not discouraging me, but giving me that reflection that you sometimes need from an outsider that doesn't live in, in your world. So in the beginning, to be able to create that base, that solid base that I needed, I did things on my, by myself where I didn't ask any help from others. And once I started doing that, that's when it became easier to convince partners and sponsors. But the last expedition that Borgi, Ausland and myself did, the, the crossing of the North Pole, to take a boat, and you've been on Pangaea, this boat sailed to 85 degrees north, the highest that any sailboat ever got into the polar ocean, to be able to drop, drop us off, and then sail out of the ice, sail around the world all the way to Spitsbergen while we were crossing the North Pole. So I had my daughter with me, Annika. I had my crew with me. And only people that believed in me. There wasn't one person on that boat that doubted our capability of ever making it. The moment the boat dropped us off on the ice, and now the boat will sail back out of the ice, but that is the Rubicon, that point of no return. That boat can never get back to us because the ice is drifting and moving. And it's impossible to find the same spot again because you've got to break through the ice and the boat's a small boat. The moment I said goodbye to my daughter, to Annika, you know what she said? I'll see you on the other side. And it was like she trusted me 100%. But the other side meant that, you know, I would can make it alive. Or if something happens and I die, we'll meet again sometime on the other side. So that's the belief that you need to have in people. If people believe in you, it's such an inspiration. If they don't believe in you, it's always an inspiration because you want to prove them wrong. And 
I take whatever energy comes to my way. If people believe it and people tell me it's impossible, it's the same energy for me. I will do what I think I can do with staying focused on staying alive because that's the only thing that I do okay <laughs> until now is stay alive. It's a very uh, focused occupation that you have, <laughs> staying alive. Well, you've also, you know, you've talked about motivation, inspiration. You talked about mental, you know, mental preparation, and you were very clear about surrounding yourself with people who believe in you. Uh, I remember uh, maybe shortly after our Africa um, exploration that you started coaching. I think you coached a the like an Indian cricket team or the German World Cup team and some rugby. Yeah. Can you give us a can you give us a little story there and and what was that like being a a mental coach? What did you what did you help those players think about? Um, you know, Chase, it was you know I studied sport uh, injuries and sport psychology. So um, from from university. Uh, I was always interested in 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 the human human's capability of always kind of breaking records, going further. And I really found that it's not so much about our physical capabilities. Yes, you've got to have the right DNA. You've got to have the right makeup to be a marathon athlete or a sprinter, or a pole vaulter, or, or a football player, or a baseball player. But once you have kind of, you've, you've reached the summit of your performance, the only difference that you can make is your psychological attitude that you have towards things. And that is where then I studied sport psychology, and to be able to to kind of put in practice uh, what I've studied, that is when I left South Africa and I started doing my expeditions. I wanted to know how far can I go? And after swimming down the Amazon, uh, the, following the equator unmotorized around the world, uh, climbing a couple of these 8,000 meter peaks without oxygen, going to the North and the South Pole, I kind of quickly understood that man can go much further than what he thinks he can go. You can't, you don't go as far as you see. You go as far as you think. So where do you think you can go? And that I knew from my expeditions. So bringing that into the world of competitive sport, now we're speaking about the Indian cricket team, the German World Cup team. Um, they asked me to come and 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 make a team out of a team. Making a team out of a team means a team's a bunch of individuals. And each of the individuals in that team's got his own agenda. So try and make a team where everybody shares their agenda to be able to reach the final goal. And I remember very well working with the, the German football team and I I did a little uh, uh, a keynote presentation on the first ever winter expedition to the North Pole. And I compared what I do with football. 
And I told the boys of the German football team, I said, you know, when I play, I cannot lose. I don't only play a match that I can win or lose. I play my life and I cannot afford to lose. So winning is not everything in life. To me, winning is the only thing in life. I have to win. Now, that means my engagement, my preparation, the way that I believe in my capabilities got to be 100% in sync with what I want to do. And if you can train those methods into a footballer or cricket or a rugby player, that's when you can reach your goals. Because losing is no option anymore. The moment that winning is the only option and you play for your life, that's when you can achieve amazing goals. I remember I was looking back at our texts trying to retrace our last conversations and I think you were at the World Cup the last time we were and didn't the German team win that year? Yeah, yeah, the well I won I won three World Cups with three <laughs> different teams the South African, the Germans uh, and the Indians. <laughs> uh, in three different sports, right? In rugby, yeah. cricket and soccer. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're a listener out there, you, you realize the level that Mike is flying at. Um, I want to I want to change tax entirely, and I, you know, something that you and I were talking about before we started recording, and that is uh, the state of the environment. And in 2006, when you and your your partner were crossing the or went or, or journeying to the north pole in winter you said something like the ice was nine feet thick and then by uh my understanding you, you when you went back in 2019 you found something very different i'm wondering if you can share a little bit about your own personal experience of seeing um the effects of uh what we're doing to the environment you know chase i i think the impact um is and will be much bigger than than we can ever imagine it to be. And because we always live in the same surrounding uh, and the, the surrounding that we live in kind of stays the same. Um, it's guys like, like us that, that wander up to 8,000 meters that cross uh, the Arctic Ocean and, and Antarctica um, that, that can really see the differences in, in what the climate and the warming of our planet actually leads to. So in, in 2006, um, the ice was uh, nine foot, about two meters 50, just a little bit more than two meters 50 thick when we reached the pole. Um, last year, this time when I crossed the North Pole with Borgi, um, we, we had two inches of ice uh, on the North Pole. Meaning that, um, okay, the, the sea ice obviously drifts, but we couldn't find thick ice to pitch our tents. Now, this is a true sign that the changes are happening much faster than what we ever predicted. 
And at the same time, in 2006, uh, when we went to the poll, um, you know, the, there was polar bears all over hunting. And there's even a polar bear that stuck his head into our tent. There was a polar bear that, that sat on my stomach when I was asleep inside the tent. And those, those memories that I had of, of the presence of polar bears, because a polar bear is higher than you on the food chain. When it decides to eat you, it's, it will eat you. A polar bear can smell um, 50 kilometers. A polar bear can swim 100 kilometers. A polar bear can walk 80 kilometers in a day. You can't get away from him. And because Borgen and myself planned this full crossing of the North Pole in, in the last year, um, we, we thought one of our biggest problems will be the polar bears. Because they they all around you. And in a hundred days it took us to cross the polar ocean, we didn't see one polar bear. The ice on the North Pole was only two inches thick. The ice that was on the North Pole is slowly now drifting into the northern Atlantic Ocean, where eventually it would go into the Gulf Stream and melt. Now if we lose the ice cap, the polar ocean, that would mean that we would know we would we won't be able to cool down our planet because the wind that actually blows over the ice caps that come down to the equator is what actually cools down uh, our planet. And if there's no more ice in the winter on the polar ocean, that is when our planet will, will, will keep on heating up and can never cool down. Imagine it would be like living in, in, a, in a room with doors and windows that we can't open to let fresh air into this room. And the world will slowly heat up, heat up, heat up. Antarctica would melt. Uh, the sea level would rise by over 18 meters, and for every centimeter of sea ice rising today, we have to displace more than one million people. We have to find different places for them to live, and our world just cannot supply the raw resources to re reallocate so many people. That first-hand account, I think that that was when when you and I first started talking about your your awareness of what was happening to the planet. I think it took it from science and white papers and stuff you see in the news to your own your own experience seeing something with your own eyes. So, what what do you recommend we do? <laughs> I mean, it, at a very fundamental level, is it changing our behavior? Is it petitioning our governments for action? Is, is it all? What, what, what do you recommend having seen this firsthand? What, what can people at home do? You know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm not somebody that gets involved in, in politics, but already what's happening in the U.S. and now is, is, is a change uh, to the better. And it's not 
what I what I'm not, what I'm saying is to the better of the world's climate. I'm not speaking about the, the the economical situation of any country. I'm speaking purely what the world needs. And we we can't always look at the politicians to find solutions for a problem that that we as human beings are actually individually uh, creating. To be able to to use and abuse less of the world's resources is definitely something that we as individuals can make a personal decision to either abuse it or not. And I think that is where we must not look at the polit uh, the politicians. We must not look at the way that other people do things, but we've got to look at the way that we do things. Today, there is sustainable businesses that supplies products that we can buy. Why do we need to support um, uh, companies that destroy the planet? It's actually killing the mother that feeds us all. And that's what we sometimes forget. We all have a role to play. And it's not only the fact that you should switch off the tap uh, when you brush your teeth, or you should only um, reuse um, paper bags instead of taking plastic bags, but it's the way that we drive, the way that we live, the way that we consume, the way that we basically live our daily life. We've got to look at how we can change that. And I've just came back from spending two and a half months up in, in um, uh, above Svalbard in the Arctic. And we did sound recordings on whales. We had post-COVID sound recordings. And for the first time in the history of our planet, Chase, there was no hunting during the COVID because the boats couldn't go out. We couldn't put the crew together. There was this, we're all going to die if we go on a boat together. So no hunting took place during four months. We went up and recorded two months ago the whales, the song. And for the first time, we can prove that the song is less stressed, that they're calling the whales up to those regions where they fed before, but after being hunted, they did not come to these regions anymore. So nature is showing us that even if we give it a little bit of a breather, something positive can come out of it. Now, if we go back after this post-COVID um, uh, 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 pandemic that we're experiencing and engage into the same style of living that we did before, then we deserve to die. And that is unfortunate to say. We can't keep on making the same mistakes because the planet cannot sustain it. The planet will survive, but the human beings won't. I remember that that story that you just shared about the whales singing. I remember um, coming around the Cape with you down in South Africa. Wow, and, what a day. <laughs> what an amazing day. Do you remember that? 
Oh, share, yes. Share, share with uh, no, I think you should share it because uh, <laughs> you were on the summit of the mast seeing, seeing 10,000 dolphins, the super pod coming towards you. Yeah, uh, just I'll, I'll recount the story. So we were on Mike's incredible boat, Pangaea, which means one world. It's the geological, when all the continents were connected, you can look it up and see pictures of this boat. It's just insane. And that's a whole nother story. I could talk to you for 10 days straight, my friend, and we could just make all of the recordings. But um, so we're on this boat. Uh, this is, I don't know, my maybe fourth trip with you and uh, coming around <clears throat> um, the Cape there down in South Africa. And I think it looked often to this, it, it, you just pointed it out as if I don't know. You just said, look over there. And I don't remember. We didn't know what it was at first. Do you remember what we thought it was? Or do you remember? I don't remember. Yeah, it, it, it looked like the wind picking up because everywhere you just saw foam. Like yeah, that's right. Light. That's right. It's like, yeah, yeah there's, it was a, but it was a beautiful, perfect, sunny day. And it was like, look, look over there. And it was as far away as I could possibly see. And, and it probably got within, I would say, maybe a half mile. And Mike says, it's dolphins and i'm like i i don't i don't i don't get it and it, literally imagine as far as you can see in either direction and when you're on the open ocean you can see far right you can see so much volume and to my benefit the guy with the camera uh the crew hoisted me up um i don't know how high is your is is the mast your your tallest mast mike it's over 100 and yeah it's 42 it's 130 foot so they hoisted me up on a on a winch 130 feet up. Um, so I'm up on the, the the tip of the mast, and I can start to see what looks like the ocean is boiling. And as Mike said, it looked like wind on the surface because there was so it was so ubiquitous. It was everywhere. And as the, um, the what it was is it was a superpod, as Mike said earlier, superpod of dolphin. Which I think we we probably saw. We ended up calling National Ge National Geographic and sending them all this footage and whatnot. But I think it was one of the largest superpods ever seen in the history of the world. And we're out in the you know south of South Africa in the middle of the ocean. And ten, imagine if you're on a boat and ten thousand of the most beautiful, playful, jovial creatures surround your boat and it's as far as you can see in every direction the water is boiling you could walk across it there were so many dolphin and it was literally one of the highlights of my entire entire life i've never seen anything like it. and if you google my name and mike's name and dolphin i i, I know that there's some videos out there and national geographic ended up you know we, we got that on their channels and whatnot what an amazing experience um what do you remember about that, Mike? You know, uh, Trace, um, the other day um, I was sitting in the office with my daughters when we came back from, from uh, Svalbard, where we, we saw from polar bears swimming to the whales, uh, to some orcas and dolphins, but nothing, not, nothing that I experienced in my life would um, would be compared with that day there. And, you know, just jokingly, I, I said to my daughters, you know, you know, I've sailed 
15 times around the world. 15 times I sailed around the world. And they said, when did you stop counting? Because we looked at the logbook when we were up there. Now you have circumnavigated the world 27 times on Pandora. <laughs> and in 27 circumnavigations of our planet, there is no place that I haven't sailed. And that will stay a highlight in my life. For you to be able to have seen that and to experience that, you know, is is a massive privilege. So true. And yeah, if you you've logged the years, and I've just cherry picked a couple of <laughs> a couple of the best <laughs> moments, but it's it truly left an indelible mark. And I think, you know, as we as you shared your story about the difference and just uh, what was it, you know, 15 years between when you started going to the North Pole and your most recent trip to see the such dramatic degradation. When I see those dolphins from my own eyes and you realize that that, that is what we're putting at risk, not only, you know, our own lives, but the lives of these creatures who are some of the most beautiful and playful and stunning and smart. And it, it just, it, it changed my behavior. It really made me an advocate. And you having seen, you know, moments like that and, and so many countless others, um, is that part of what makes you dedicate, you know, your life to education? I, I know you've do, done so much with the Young Explorers program and giving talks around the world. I mean, I've had more amazing moments watching you talk about the environment. I mean, I go back to being on the uh, with the Prince of Monaco on your boat, sipping champagne, talking about the environment. <laughs> and I mean, you just live this insane life, but is it, is it these moments that have made it so easy to dedicate your life or is, am I putting words in your mouth? Why, why, why are you so dedicated to the environment? You know, I, I think Chase, you've experienced it and, and, and those are life changing moments. And the moment you, you, you live something that, changes your behavior or allows you to think a little bit deeper than than what you would think in normal circumstances in a normal life. Um, we call these events key events in our lives, events that allow us uh, to change the direction we're heading into. And for me, my life as an explorer and as a professional explorer, uh, I lived out there for 30 years. Um, I cannot climb any more mountains. I cannot cross any more poles. I cannot keep on just sailing around the world, although I would love to. And if you think of just um, a little bit of where I've been and what I've seen, um, I've, I've seen the world like very few people and to be able to have that authentic view uh, and true view of the planet um, only leads to the, the conservation of our planet. I would like to, to make the world a better place for my daughters. I would like to make the world a better place for everybody that's out there that, that didn't play a, a role in the destruction of the planet until today. And now I'm speaking about the younger generation. 
if, if you are five or six years old today, I want to leave a planet intact for the five or six year old kids that's around there because it's not them that destroyed the planet. It's more or less our, you know, we're the boomers and the boomers, they're the guys that wanted to progress. And all this progression has, has done, done us good, but in, we forgot to really take care of the planet. It's, it's about the give and take that we sometimes um, forget that sometimes the investment in giving is better than the investment in taking. And that's why today, um, slowly but surely, yes, I've still got a couple of things to do, but um, I'm out there trying to make the world and the planet a better place. Again, having personally been there, like on the front lines, seated at the table with you when you're having some of these conversations with world leaders, I, I referenced sipping champagne with the Prince of Monaco on your boat, which was surreal. I know you, you spoke in Davos at the uh, World Economic Forum about the changes, you spoke with the president of France, um, some of the some envoy from the US. And do you have hope? Do you have hope that we'll get our shit together? I Chase, I believe that I believe that we created a problem or accelerated a problem that was in the making. And we are human beings. We find solutions for so many other things. And to be able to look at ourselves is the moment that I believe in humanity. If you can look at yourself with a real intent to make the world a better place, I think we can do it as well. And I want to, to share the, the message of hope and not the message of despair, because if it is gonna go down and we did nothing about it, I'm gonna feel sad about the efforts that, that I didn't make. But if it goes down, if the world we, becomes to a stage that it cannot take care of itself and we did nothing about it, then for me it's a sad moment. But if I did everything in my capabilities to reverse what's happening, then I really don't mind it going down because I try to take care of it. One of the things that strikes me is your 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 personal responsibility you you it's like radical ownership to use some of the parlance of the time and and we've we've heard this from others you know military leaders and world leaders and um you where does that come from where does your your just awareness and and self-awareness and your willingness to own every every outcome as your own. Is that something that comes from your your parents, or is that something is that a learned trait? Because you you personally accepting the responsibility that you have to change the planet. You personally, as you know, the first time we met, I boarded your ship and we sailed into a monsoon in the South China Sea. You 
you owning as the captain of the ship, the, the welfare. I mean, and we were, to be clear, we're in 40 meter seas and no power with a broken main halyard out there. Like where, where does this radical self like responsibility and self-reliance come from and what, what can we learn from it? I, I think that, you know, it's, it's the moment that you take responsibility. Um, we, we always try and pass on responsibilities to, to, to somebody else. And I, I've always been the person that, that would like to take ownership of, of what I can take ownership of. And the moment that you can take ownership of your responsibilities is the moment that you like that, um, the, the fact that those responsibilities empowers you, makes you stronger, makes you a better person, makes you more understanding. And that is self-enriching. Self-enriching by taking responsibilities is the most rewarding thing that any human being can ever uh, experience. And if I can challenge anybody out there to take the responsibilities, that others do not want to take. There's nothing more powerful in a reward than being able to say, if they want, don't want to do it, I'll do it for them. And it creates this, this, this circle of energy that, that inspires others and that people want to be part of. And as you mentioned, the Pangaea expedition or the Pangaea expedition was taking young people around the world, teaching them about the planet and how to conserve it for the future generation. There were 62 million kids following this expedition that just started with one idea where I said, okay, we'll take the next generation out there, teach them about the conservation of the planet because you can't teach old dogs new tricks, but old dogs can take responsibility. And the moment you take responsibility is the moment that you start inspiring others. I, and for those who uh, are not familiar with it, Mike had a program for a number of years, maybe a decade or so, the Young Explorers program, where we'd take was a competition to be selected and he would take two I think two kids from different countries. That's uh, correct. Yeah. Remind me how it went. It was it was any kid could apply, um, and in between the age of fifteen to twenty years old, and we took two kids from the six different continents. So we had the world on Pangaea, and that's why the boat was called Pangaea. That meant one world when all the continents were together. So. That meant that on my boat, I had the world represented and they interacted and created networks and then tried to solve the world's problems by working together as one and not as individual countries. To be able to work as one in the world today is vital for our existence. Speaking of working together, I'm aware that you have done so much on your own, but I want to bring up the the concept of, of team. You talked about team with respect to coaching the German 
soccer team to the world cup championship. That's a, a team thing. And while so much of what you do is out there, keeping yourself alive, self-sufficient, needing to, um, you know, as you said, your, your occupation is staying alive. What role does the rest of your, you know, you, you, there are, you've become incredibly proficient in the 10 years since we met, but what, what do some of the other people in your organization, you know, it's not just Mike, you have, you know, you, you mentioned your daughters, uh, you have Berga, your, your, your partner who you help you, you credited with, you know, working together across the, uh, exhibit or the, uh, expedition in the IAC's probably the world's renowned polar explorer. What role does the team play even in the world where it's just you uh, and nature? You know, uh, Chase, without meeting people and, and having, having people support uh, some of my ideas and, and make me reflect on, on, on their ideas, um, you know, I would have been nobody and, and wouldn't have accomplished any, anything in my life. Um, you know, every person that I've met and that I've spent time with uh, has taught me something. And, you know, even, even our paths crossing and seeing, meeting you 10, 12 years ago or even more um, and, and, and being inspired through your creative mind and, and, and uh, the way that you shared your passion of creativity to others inspired me and the world has, <clears throat> has a funny way of, of kind of, 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 of guiding people together that um, needs to be together. And the moment that you open your mind and you open your eyes and you open your ears and you start listening and you're not always speaking to people, but you listen is the moment that you learn. And that to me is so important. I have learned so much from people. And that's why I can only be a humble explorer. Because what people know in their fields of work that I don't know is amazing. So, you know, having Kathy there in the beginning, um, being surrounded by 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 friends, uh, great athletes, uh, winning uh, an Oscar in the world of sport, um, meeting uh, presidents and princes, and being able to 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 mingle with change makers um, was important for me. And I think that the moment, like I said, you open your mind and you make your brain available to be nourished is the moment that anybody in life can teach you something you don't know. Well, speaking of others, uh, I'm, I'm grateful. I want to say thank you. I'm grateful for the world, you know, our, our different worlds overlapping and for, Kath and Jessica and Anika and Gerard and, and friends that we've had in our lives uh, that helped us stay in touch. And, and I just, I want to encourage, you know, I try not to give advice in the show because the show is really about the guest, but just looking out for the people who have, you know, taken care of us and put us in the same room and given us a, a path and some guidance and, you know, helped us figure out things that we didn't know 
I, I just want it, to, it's so clear to me that cultivating community is, is an important act that nothing, nothing really is a solo act when you, when you boil it down to it, right? Everything is, is a little bit of a, as a team effort. And I just was struck by that as you were speaking and I wanted to pause and, and say thanks. And to people listening at home, like what Mike has done is, um, is incredible, but you get zero credit for stories you don't tell. And if your goal is to create impact, help others, inspire others, of course, you know, you need to take care of yourself first, but that, you know, that, that has so much to do with building a community around you and your work. And sometimes we forget that just need to remind us. Right. You, you know, Chase, it's, it's like, can't be said better than what you've just said. It. It's, it's, we've all got something to be thankful for. And sometimes just meeting up with people, um, I, I just thank them for for crossing my path. And the moment that you are thankful for everything that you have in life and you're not bitching and moaning and groaning because you're not actually making as much money or um, you, you're not as successful as you wanted to be, um, look at life in general. Look and... The, look at the bigger picture of, of the possibilities of being alive. And you don't always um, get what you want in life. You get what you need in life. And if you've got what you need, you've got so much. It's so and, true. And I, honestly, in my life, I got everything I needed. And that's why my life was so rich. And it all started from you giving away all your possessions when you were living in South Africa to, to you went from, you know, you literally nothing, you had no possessions and moved, <laughs> moved to Switzerland, right? Exactly. Being from, from a millionaire in one minute uh, to somebody that had two t-shirts and had no possessions because <laughs> I wanted my freedom. And the more I had, the more I felt that I was tied down. And the moment I got rid of all my possessions was the moment that I felt free again. Amazing. Well, I, I want to surprise you with something. So I was just um, speaking to a mutual friend who I don't know if you know if, if we're friends. So I wanted to record. I'm, I'm going to shoot a little video here of the screen. And uh, I was just texting with... Uh, Mary Buckheit. Oh, Mary. <laughs> oh, she's, oh, no, and she's amazing. Mary came and gave us a massive hand uh, with the Young Explorers program. Yeah, Not she that. is such a superstar. And I don't know if you know, she's she's the chief communications officer for Tony Robbins now. And uh, she's... Wow. She's doing so well. She's traveling the world, inspiring people. And I know it took a big, uh, you know, a, a, a big page out of your book. And, and she talks about your infectious, the joy and um, so much um, just inspiration and uh, love that she had working with you and Kath back in Switzerland. And so it's our it's our goal to get the three of us together the next time when this pandemic uh, is over. Maybe it's us going to Switzerland, but the three of us need to get together and, and tip a glass of wine back. 
Uh, no, definitely. I'll, I'll head out with my boat and sail across the oceans because alone on my boat, on my boat there's no COVID, man. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Mike, I'll, I'll pass that note on to, uh, to Mary. And oh, I want to say thank you. Thank you so much for sharing just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, that's a in, pun intended there. Um, I saw that video of you rolling the iceberg over, by the way, that was scary. And if, if uh, <laughs> oh, shit, man, um, I, I, I want to take a second and plug all your social channels for anyone who's listening, because what you're putting out there, so much good content, uh, the YouTube channel, um, is that just Mike Horn Explorer or what's, what's the YouTube channel? Do you know? Well, I, <laughs> I haven't progressed anything. I, just, I think it's just Mike Horn. Yeah. Okay. You've got, uh, you know, nearly a million subscribers there. You tell incredible vlogs and, uh, you know, when I can't, when I can't reach you, um, for a long time, what I figured I do is I just watch your YouTube channel and your Instagram because it's mostly, it's mostly up to date, but you're putting out amazing content and, um, Instagram, you're, uh, you're on Instagram as well. Instagram, YouTube, uh, of course, Twitter and whatnot. Do you have a favorite place to post stuff or what's the best way for people to follow you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's still, you know, um, um, we had a chat about Instagram many years ago, me and you. You're the guy that actually started it. So <laughs> we still use that little that little platform. Um, you know, uh, having, having Anika and Jessica so involved in my life, uh, uh, them doing an amazing job as well. Uh, by sharing content that they create by living close to me, um, usually gets shown on on um, you know on Facebook, on Instagram, and and then you know we we decided to start the YouTube channel this year, and um, you know it took off like a wildfire, and uh, um, the, it shows that um, authentic, true content um, is still uh, still content that people would like to see. Well, uh, yeah, as someone who's uh, a subscriber, and uh, I, I mean, this is the, be it's the best way for me to stay in touch with you because you're you're out at sea. Like you said, you've been in your own bed for 32, <laughs> 32 nights in the last three years or something. Um, but if you at all are all interested in the environment, in motivation, inspiration, in ownership, personal accountability, and truly truly living your dreams i cannot recommend following uh mike enough it is a uh, almost daily inspirations and just a, a personal debt of gratitude man you you inspired the hell out of me and uh, i enjoyed if so much time that we've spent together i've enjoyed it tremendously and it's been good to reconnect after i mean i haven't even talked to you face to face on video since your your pole to pole so um Good to, good to be back in touch, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for inspiring me many years ago and keep it keep it going. It's you often mentioned in our in our discussions and um, you know Yasek and and those guys on the boat. Uh, we still speak about about you and Chris and and we should we should do another we should do another uh, little expedition. We need uh, an adventure. Where's the boat right now? The the boat's in Brest in France, and we just getting it ready to to sail down to the Amazon and to Patagonia uh, again. So yeah, it's it's 
the story of my life. <laughs> it's one of my favorite places in the world to be when when the ceiling tiles aren't getting blown out because we're in 40 meter seas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, take care of yourself, dear friend. It's been great to to connect, and thank you for sharing your stories with uh, all of our listeners. And I think you made some new fans today. Um, really, really appreciate it, bud. And I hope you, I hope you stay healthy and happy. Well, thanks a lot for the opportunity, Jason. Take care. All right. All right. Signing off until next time, everybody. Thanks for paying attention and we'll see you again soon. Thanks guys. All right. Thanks for listening. Hey, before you go, I want you to know that I never, not for a millisecond, take it for granted that you have decided to spend some of your time and attention here on the show with yours truly, guest or no guest. It's just an outright privilege. I don't take it for granted for a second. I want to say thank you. In line with that, this is a community and I would love if you've been moved or inspired or whatever to share this with anyone that is in your universe uh, feel free to shout questions or and just even a shout out to, to yours truly or the guest means the world. I want to say thanks and have a good one.